Hey everybody, it's John. I wanted to remind you that we do have a Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash alien minute. Over there on Patreon, Mitch and I discuss subjects concerning movies and television and just about anything else we want to talk about. So uh, if you want to come over there, you can subscribe for $2 a month for one episode or $5 a month for every episode at patreon.com forward slash alien minute. Thank you. And welcome to Alien Minute, the daily podcast where we are analyzing aliens in short, controlled bursts. I'm John Ingle. And I'm Tasha Robinson. And Minute 100 begins with Hicks asking for light and ends with Hicks firing wildly at some attacking xenomorphs. That's right. And Tasha, you made it through the whole week. Five whole episodes all in a row. Thanks for coming back. I mean, I was trying to get to the fallback position, but you, you kept telling me that we were going to be fine, that they couldn't possibly get inside the room. Well, I wanted to look up into the ceiling first. I mean, we got to figure out what's going on here. We don't want to fall back to the fallback position too quickly or anything. I mean, come on. We need to know where they're coming from. That is true. I've got a great idea. Matthew Peterson is back with us. Matthew, why don't you just stick your whole face in the ceiling and see if there's anything up there? Why don't I? Well, allow me to enunciate the many reasons why not. (laughs) First of all, I'd like to keep my face. What? Um, I know, right? This, though, is is one of those moments, one of these classic moments in film where people talk about yelling at the screen moments where you're like, don't do it. No, Norman Bates is in there. Don't get in the shower. You have those moments, and this is one of them. Is that Michael Bean? Yes. Okay. When he does his thing and he's like, I'm going to go up there, you're just like, don't. Why would you do that? And then he slowly brings his face in and puts it right in ripping off and biting and wearing your skull as a hat territory. And it's <laughs> it really is jarring. It really seems out of character for him as this, you know, this tough as nails, smart, strategic uh future alien militiaman grunt to just lead with a face like that. He's not even wearing a helmet. Oh, it's frustrating to me. No, it's, it's frustrating. It's so bad. It's so bad, but it's also so good because, I mean, first of all, I like that he does it himself. He doesn't order one of the other men to go stick their faces up there, that which I true. think is really important. Uh, if if he'd <laughs> if it had just been like, okay, Hudson, go yeah. stick your head yeah. in the alien room. Uh, Vasquez, stick your head in that creature's mouth. That yeah. Go go see if that's actually an alien by inserting your entire body like into its its weird jaws. I, it's important that he's the one that does it, but at the same time, you're right. I so I recently saw it, the Stephen King adaptation, and that movie is full of over and over the the characters kind of going, oh, the scariest thing in the world is in that direction. I'm going to walk in that direction very mm-hmm. slowly, looking unnerved, and then I'm going to reach out and poke the scary thing. Like, yeah. why? Why do you do that? And that's, it's an interesting dynamic in horror movies where it builds tension, but it makes you feel like the characters are stupid at the same time. Yeah. And that, that is exactly what it is. We talked in Minute 99 about how the characters almost seem to think they're in an action film when they are in a haunted house horror movie. And this is one of those moments where he is doing a classic 
big dumb slasher flick is Jason outside. Hello, is there anyone out there? I'm going to go outside <laughs> wearing nothing but my nighty, you know, kind of moment where I honestly did. I, I clearly remember seeing this at one point and thinking, oh, yeah, is this the point where he, you know, literally gets his face ripped off by the creatures in the vents? Because they're clearly up there, you guys. Well, now I'm picturing Michael Bean in a nighty. Well, now I am yeah. too. Thanks. It's a it's a lovely sort of oh. peach off the shoulder peignoir. He got it from pennies. <laughs> See, my take on this is, uh, you know, if if we want to talk about the being in this situation, like in the world of the movie, you have been given a gift here of of deduction. You've deduced where they're coming from. They're you've. Ripley has just named every other way they could be coming in, and figured out the only way that it could be. Mm-hmm. There you have it. Get the fuck out. Yeah. Like, there you have it. You have been given the gift of being able to deduce this. Why would you need to investigate? You know. Like, your powers of deduction have told you the answer. I will tell you why. Don't investigate. Get out. This This is an example of the director taking a moment and having a character do something that is, I won't say out of character, but definitely questionable because of that beautiful visual, that yeah. revulsion moment of looking up and seeing the the xenomorphs in the ceiling like a swarm of bugs or rats or snakes or all at once, honestly. Bats. Definitely bats. <laughs> the Just that revulsive, creepy, crawly moment where they're up there, they're coming towards him, they're in the walls, you know? Everyone has had that moment where you see an insect in your in your bathroom and you're like, oh my God, what is that? How did it get here and are there more? Just that terrible moment almost, I will actually say it does make up for it because the first 10 seconds of this are Michael Bean's face slowly going in and then you see them creepy crawling, just hoard them and oh my gosh, beautiful moment, hordes and hordes and hordes. And then all HE double hockey sticks breaks loose. The moment where he sees what he sees and we get that POV shot of they're in the room and they're coming towards you and they're right here and they're going to eat your face. It, it, it justifies a what feels like a really director's thumbprint decision to where you feel the creator going, just have the dumb guy pick up the idiot ball. Yep. You know, no, it's, a du- it's a dummy stick moment. It for is. Sure. It absolutely yeah. is, but it plays out. And then as he falls, he does the one thing that redeems him as not a dummy. When he falls, he falls firing full auto. He's like, I'm, yeah. I may be going down, but I'm going to shoot the ceiling and whatever is in it with everything I have, which is lovely too. I've got some thoughts about firing into the ceiling, but before we get to that, I just I want to comment on this the bugs in the walls moment. This is hands down my favorite shot in Aliens. Mm-hmm. There is some some great great visual stuff going on in a lot of Aliens. It's really hard to beat the moment where Ripley first sees the alien queen. There's a whole lot of stuff in the the queen battle and stuff that happens at the end, and I'm spoiling all everybody else's minutes, but I don't care. But right. this shot that it, it's so unnerving and it's. I remember seeing this in the theater and thinking, this is the first time for me that the aliens have really fully come across as aliens. Like, that this could not possibly be a bunch of dudes in suits. And I assumed just because of the the amount of motion going on in this shot and the the creepy insectile way that it's happening, I assumed that this was stop motion. Mm -hmm. I have rewatched it over and over and over 
And I went looking for some kind of uh, like behind the scenes feature report. I've looked at the credits. I've read, looked at through like books about it and I cannot find any evidence one way or the other. Looking at it again, I believe it could just be a bunch of people in the alien suits because the aliens are so, so detailed. Like if these are yeah. uh, stop motion miniatures, they're just exquisitely made. But Parts of the uh, the Ripley in the power suit versus the Queen shot are done in a form of stop motion. It is possible that this is some kind of stop motion process shot. I'm really curious whether you guys know anything about that or just have any opinions from looking at it. From looking at it, my assumption is that it's people in suits and the camera's upside down and they're just crawling across the uh, a floor. You know, that's, that's been always my assumption. I've never really thought about it as being stop motion, but it also happens so quickly and you're so shocked in that moment that, uh, uh, you know, who cares, right? <laughs> like you're, you're, you're like, Oh my God. And then everything, uh, the shit, it's a fan. And then everything is in body suits. So maybe that's where my idea of that is coming from. I'd have to look at it again to see if I see any evidence of stop motion kind of movement. But, um, my feeling is that it's probably people in body suits, camera upside down. I don't think they're crawling because as you look at the perspective, the, the primary one in the beginning, in the, in the foreground, is actually wrapping his hands around the pipes to crawl. I am not an expert, but it doesn't look like stop motion. It looks like, and there's eight or nine figures moving, it looks like they have either put people in the suits or they have somehow built a rig that makes it look like the aliens are moving. I think the easiest way to do it, if I'm thinking as a cinematographer, would be to get people with the acrobatic skill to just hang and drag themselves by their hands, stick them in the suits and go. But it I don't know. It doesn't look like it's upside down just because of the way the tails are hanging down and the bits are, I mean, they're dragging against the what would be the top of the ceiling which would be a difficult thing to at least to me it seems like it would be difficult to simulate with uh, just that camera flip you know what i mean hmm. yeah i guess i'm thinking about how difficult it might be for the actors right to hang upside down so you could definitely uh, string their tails to the ceiling mm -hmm. and do sure. things to to cause that to happen but you know i don't know either i actually don't have a solid answer to what's going on here it is horrifying, though, and it really shows off how well the creature design combines everything loathsome, everything that a human being can loathe, because it's, it's serpentine, and it's arachnid, and it's, it's insectoid, and it's monstrous, and somehow verminous all at once, and it's just, it's this beautiful melange of everything you just want to step on, everything you want to crush as hard <laughs> as you can is just perfectly encapsulated in that 10 second shot or however long it is it's just it's perfect it's lovely it's beautiful i'm i'm so glad that i'm here for minute 100 so i can be horrified and gross and have nightmares for the next 5 days it is literally a 3 second shot i'm just i'm, yeah. I'm panning back and forth on it now yeah looking at the looking at this like up close looking at, at still frames of it it is clear to me in a way that it's never been before that the tops of the the top of the alien's head in the original alien was completely smooth and i mean it was very much meant to be a, a phallic thing here right. the tops of their heads are basically the backs of cockroaches um, i mean yep what ridgy like a spine or a, or a, a chitinous material Chitinous yeah, although we've also kind of gone, uh, you know, original Klingon versus next-gen Klingon with these we things. We do not speak of it. 
<laughs> uh, thank you, Worf. You're, you're welcome. So, but moving on to the whole uh, firing into the ceiling thing, uh, you're you're like, well, that redeems uh, his moment. I I'm gonna question that one. I <laughs> given that you're dealing with things with acid for blood, uh, mm-hmm. firing into the ceiling <laughs> when they're on top of you just seems like you're setting yourself up for a nice acid shower bath. And it turns out that they're uh, they're far enough back that it just means they come through the ceiling on people right. uh, on people's heads. They but they don't literally rain down on people's heads. But my God, like I I would just be booking it. Uh, the jig is up. It is time yep. to leave the room. It is not time to turn on the emergency acid bath. <laughs> well, and you know Burke agrees with you. Yeah. <laughs> I think we need to uh, talk about this acid for blood thing for a second because it's been coming up here and there on our Facebook page. And uh, I think we do need to talk about the fact that this movie is so selective about its use of the acid for blood. Um, We we get acid spraying, like we get those big shots of, uh, especially in the director's cut with the sentry guns, of aliens exploding into big, like, acid splashing everywhere. Uh, we get some acid, like, uh, kills Drake, right? We get some later here with uh, with Hicks, but they're so selective about it, and it's kind of a shame in a way. While I don't want them to spend the whole damn movie uh, trying to deal with the business of what acid effect the acid for blood might have on the surroundings here, it's such a beautiful idea in the original movie that just narrows their choices down so much. You know what I mean? Like, that's what it really does. Like, what can you do with that face hugger? Nothing. Can't do anything with this thing because guess what? It'll destroy the ship if too much of the shit gets out. Here, I mean, we're going to have a minute here where Ripley, uh, it's a great moment where Ripley finally fires the gun and shoots an a alien. But God, it seems like the thing's like five feet away and the acid doesn't come into play at all there, even though it's splashing everywhere. We had moments with the sentry guns like, why didn't that cause a problem? You know, if the aliens can only go through those ducts. Uh, why didn't like killing a bunch of them not open up the site? You know the more ways for them to get around the ducks. You know, like things like that could have been clever. It's a lot of business to deal with, though. So I think it has to be discussed. I'm not sure if I want there to be a lot of attention spent on it, but since it's come up so much, I think that it's a good thing to talk about and maybe see if we can figure out whether it's uh, excusable or not. I think it probably is. Let's just use it here and there where we need it, but let's not make a big thing out of it. If we're going to have 100 aliens, we can't have 100 alien uh, acid holes everywhere, (laughs) too, you know? So, I don't know. But they had to be selective about that part, I guess, for this particular movie. Well, I mean, if you're doing you're doing the action movie version of the story, which means you've got to have a bunch of fights and you've got to have a bunch of aliens getting blasted. If the the first one was very noticeably about one alien and how you deal with it, uh, this one is about mob, you know, mob tactics and uh, group on group violence. So, you know, you've got to you've got to downplay it a little. I think that they spend enough time at an I think that they spend enough time on it in the film that you're well aware that like nothing's changed and, you know, people do die from it. People end up scarred from it. So it's not like they're uh, minimizing it, but I do think that there's a really big difference between being in a, like a vast, I mean, like this, I don't know. What do you you call this? Mining station colony? Colony. I think there's a, I think there's a big difference between being in a vast colony, which is basically kind of video game destructible environment. You know, if you blow a bunch of holes in it, they don't care versus being in a spaceship in space, which is a tiny little capsule of air uh, surrounded by death. 
you know, here, if they melt half of the place, they go to the other half and, uh, you know, they're not immediately dead. Well, and there's, there's also the question of home turf. I mean, on the Nostromo, that is their home. The alien is an invader. When you're in this movie, you're kind of on the alien's turf. I mean, you know, they have basically taken over, eaten everything, worn the people's hats, and, you know, done all the killing. They are more willing to just blow the snot out of everything and just leave holes in all of the walls and the ceilings because they don't have to ride home with the damage. And I don't know. I cannot remember where it is, and I, I, I swear to you, I knew this when we started prepping, but somewhere, someone explained this, and whether it's in Alien or whether it's in a novelization, someone said something to the effect of their blood is super acidic, but it oxidizes quickly, and oxygen negates the acidity quickly, so it will eat, it'll like eat through a floor or a table or something but it will neutralize itself quickly once it's outside of their body but i can't remember for the life of me where it is so i'm you know i may be full of it and that was a completely useless bit of information that i shared but i felt i needed (laughs) to share it because i read it somewhere and since this is technically the internet i read it somewhere is actually the highest form of flattery true facts that's that is very true I don't know. Yeah, I guess that might explain why the acid eventually stopped on the Nostromo, mm-hmm. but I've never heard that theory before. But you know what? I'll take it yeah. because it uh, it gets us through this movie, <laughs> I guess. Well, and you know, the the action sequences, the guns blazing and the, the firing and the, the colonial marines or whoever these fellers are, the marines feeling like they're making a difference is very cathartic both for characters and for us watching it it almost feels like they're having a chance it feels like as the one comes right at ripley and she remembers that she's protecting a little girl and opens up right in its face that's a throw your fist in the air heck yeah moment she just you know blew it to shreds and then was immediately completely betrayed by my two dads which frustrates me to no end in this particular sequence what oh it's great though i mean first of all it means burke actually does have the jig is up sense like Mm -hmm. they 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 thrust him against a wall and said we're going to kill him now he has the sense to know he needs to run away and like the second everybody else is engaged that that little weasel is out the door and good for him he is gone as soon as the guns start blazing he realizes that it's time to go uh, back home to Greg Evigan because it, and it, it's really fun <laughs> to see him just take off running. It's that moment where you're like, oh, he's a coward. No, wait, he's also a backstabbing jerk. And it, it really, but, it's lovely. But he's also making the sensible move for him. You know, it's a, it's possible death versus definite death. So I love the, I also love the fact that he slams the door in Ripley and Newt's face Mm -hmm. and Ripley says, you know, open this door. Like, I mean, you want to talk about uh, uh, forehead slapping movie boner moments. Like, this is just one of those moments of what do you expect is going to happen? Is is Burke going to be like, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to leave the woman who wants me dead outside with a, with a gigantic gun outside right. in the room full of face-melting killer aliens. Here, I'll open that right, right. up for you. An Alphonse and Gaston, oh, no, no, I'm so sorry. After you moment. No, not going to happen. Yeah, we're talking about a new opportunity here for him. He did. He was out of options until this happened. Because mm-hmm. when you think about it, 
his one chance now, uh, Tasha, we actually, I teased this a couple minutes ago, was is that we still have Bishop out there getting the drop ship. He's bringing hope uh, that they can escape. Well, if, if, if Burke can find himself as the only person left alive, all he has to do is tell that robot, let's get out of here, everybody else is dead, and he's, he's home scot-free. Yep. So this is actually a new opportunity for him, so of course he's going to slam the door. He wants everybody in that room to die. And if he has any chance at all of getting away, he's going to get away and uh, and and have uh, Burke uh, or uh, sorry, have Bishop pilot him up to the Slaco and they they go back home. So, yeah, of course he's going to slam that door. And you know, if they happen to survive but get injected with an alien egg, more's the better for him. That could happen too. I guess I, it might be a little late for that uh, here because these are just these are the your uh, tear them apart and wear you for hats uh, aliens as you uh, talk about not the. Not the impregnating type, but uh, yeah. So really, he's at this point. It's just like let's just get everybody dead, get home, uh, cut cut my losses, and get home alive. Yep. Explain to the boss what happened. Tell him we'll go back later. Then we'll go back, and they'll make a sequel called Aliens Is. And every time we'll just why didn't we get Aliens Is? Every time we just add another plural. Aliens Is Is was my favorite with uh, you know Edward Scissorhands' girlfriend, but. In any case, what were we saying? Oh, yes. <laughs> there is a great moment where uh, Ripley first uses the, the gun and blows the alien apart, where I, it's it's fairly clear that she kind of like falls back and closes her eyes as she's firing the gun, uh, you know, which gives us kind of a baseline to work up to the big triumphant moment at the end where, you know, she knows how to use a weapon and she doesn't flinch from it. But I was actually trying to... Uh, like pause this minute to to make sure that she was actually closing her eyes, and that's how I came to realize there are entire frames in here that are just pure white, where her the muzzle flash from her uh, rifle is going off, and the whole screen just goes white as she's lighting up that alien, and get in the minute in the moment of all of this darkness and redness, uh, it's really really striking. I so I you know I went back and watched the scene again, aware that it's there, and it's. It's almost subliminal. I mean, you can catch when it happens, but the fact that it's not just it's not just a, a bright muzzle flash, mm-hmm. it's actual full white frames, uh, I would not have picked up just watching it through. That is neat. That is really neat. And I do like the fact that when she bolts, when she moves, after in minute 99, we kind of touched on the fact that Newt, you know, tries to get her to leave and she literally brushes her back. She literally brushes Newt off. Here, one of the first things that she does is grab the kid and get to almost drag the little girl to a position that she hopes is safer. You know, we get that that setup moment where she ignored her when she shouldn't have and now she remembers, oh right, I do have to take care of this person and it's kind of a not necessarily a maternal moment, but definitely a moment where you think, okay, wh- whatever was going on, whatever in, in minute 99 when she was trying to puzzle out the puzzle and not really paying attention to all the clues around her, she is now done and she has remembered, oh yes, I kind of have to bring this person out of here alive or else there's no more sequels. Well, not that they used her for the sequel. But yeah, uh, I like the fact that she's like she's physically grabbing Newt and getting her towards the, the exit. But she also is, uh, once again, barking orders to the Marines who are listening to her. Like, once again, she is establishing who's in charge here. Mm-hmm. 
I did want to ask Tasha while you were watching frame by frame uh, this little moment where they're, I, I guess, leaning against some lockers or something here when mm-hmm. Ripley kills this alien. Uh, I teased a couple of days ago about a moment with Newt where maybe she's a little non-responsive. And I was watching this moment and I realized she gives no response at all to the fact that there's this giant alien bearing down on them. Mm-hmm. And we talked about how, how she doesn't really respond to the adults fighting and threatening to kill each other earlier. And maybe this is another case where she's just seen this, like she's seen aliens. Maybe she doesn't, she's just not going to freak out about it. Uh, or, or it could be a moment where James Cameron had to pick the best take of Sigourney Weaver over a bad take of Carrie Henn. I think there's a possibility that that's there because it's a little wooden. She's not reacting to anything. And you know they're acting against something that's not there probably. Right. So it, it's very possible that this isn't a great performance. But if you look at her face, it's just like still. There's no real – I guess you could say frozen in fear could be one other uh, way to explain it. But just wanted to point out that we don't get a performance real – bit of performance here from Carrie Handel. There's almost a weariness of, oh my God, I've been here before. And I, I like your read that she's seen this before. She's done this before. This is all familiar territory for her. And these people are going to get eaten too. And she's going to go. But I, I, you'll notice that as soon as the guns go off, she's immediately flinching from the loud noises. So maybe at least this is something new and different for her. To where she might, you know, have some hope and not be a tiny, feral, blonde child who lives in an alien stronghold any longer. I don't know. I'm looking at her, like, literally frame by frame here. And what I see is wide-eyed paralysis. Hmm. Uh, You know, I see her being afraid, but afraid in a way that says to me, yeah, she's been here before. She's traumatized. There's the scene when she falls into the water and the alien is swimming around behind her. Like, she's just clutching her teddy bear and staring around wide-eyed. And, like, she's not... I, acting, asking kids this young to act can be like to to act mm-hmm. can be very dangerous because of the likelihood that they give you too much and they go too big. I think the you know the cringing in paralysis and waiting for the adults to either do something or die and probably die so she can you know get to her next hidey hole and her next set of adults. I think that's a better choice than having her like you know crying and yelling and saying Ripley get us out of here or whatever. I I think right. that this way she doesn't dominate the scene and she doesn't slow the scene down, but she's just very visibly there as kind of the avatar of everything they need to protect. Yeah, from that parenting perspective, it's that moment where you hear a thump And if the crying starts immediately, it's one thing. But if you hear a thump and then silence and then the crying comes in later, you know you have a serious situation. (laughs) And it does. I mean, for me, just looking at this sequence and going, yeah, okay, I have a female child person. And that moment where you're 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 kind of like, oh my God, she's she's frozen. She doesn't know what to do. She's freaking out. It does give me kind of a visceral realization here, and and buying into that moment where the adult is protecting the child, and that is the thing that you like to hope that you would do if you were in this situation. Even though I think I would almost certainly be Burke, and I think you know most people probably would too. I'm totally Vasquez. I mean, yeah. like I've like yeah, my every big time bulging we go biceps. She welds the door shut. It was terrible. I really do. <laughs> we went to McDonald's and she welded the doors shut. And I'm just like, Tasha, come on, it's a Big Mac. And then they didn't have to the be chef's fair. one sauce, and she jumped up on a table and yelled at everybody. I don't even know. What. 
I welded those doors shut in front of us to stop you from going in <laughs> because nobody should eat McDonald's food. Oh. It's the it's my only defense these days. Is uh, you know Matthew's like, oh, hey, let's go down to the uh, the cinema and watch the latest Adam Sandler movie, and I get there like three steps ahead and weld the doors <laughs> shut so we can't. Wait, he refers to it as the cinema, but he cinema. goes and sees Adam Sandler movies. No, it's Adam Sandler. <laughs> he's he's from a lovely school Adam, thing. Adam Sandler was performances move. Jack and Jill has a sublime undercurrent to it of. Uh, how do you say? <laughs> See, here's the thing. He's never actually seen an Adam Sandler movie because that's I'm true. always there in front of him with the arc welder. That's, that's so, true. I saw two minutes of pixels and then she welded my TV shut. Which, let me well, let the, me tell you, if you've ever tried to weld a TV shut, it's hard. Yeah, I was going to say, you'd have, you'd have to have one of those old console TVs that had like doors on the front. Oh, yeah. Welded, melted, potato, potato. It's it's really sort of a, a puddle of slag on the floor. And either way, I'm not going to be watching Pixels. It kind of exploded a little, but I don't have acid for blood, so his house is fine. That's fine. Whew, That's cool. Good. All right. Well, what do, what do you say we get out of here, guys, before Tasha welds us in? <laughs> no, I'm going to run sure. for the door and slam it shut in all y'all faces. Woohoo! Matthew, open the door. No. Open the door, Matthew. I do not wish to. Come on. Uh, open the door, well, though. At least I will say... <laughs> go ahead. No, I'm not going to do it. I will say one thing. Having been a part of Minute 99 and Minute 100, which are the same length because they're a minute, right? Yep. 99 had that build and the tension and the lung, and it feels like so much more happened... And yet, when you look at, you know, in, in minute 100, it feels like there's a lot more action and so many things happening and things over here. It doesn't feel like the same amount of time for each of them. And I really love that, how that slow, slow build all of a sudden just busted open, you know, like a pomegranate on the railroad tracks. And all of a sudden, there's seeds everywhere. And, you know, it's time for the big fighty fighty. And I really do love that. I think that's an example of what Tasha described as that soft, loud, soft thing. Right now we're in the loud, and in a minute it's going to get soft again. I felt like that was really, really effective, having you know done two whole episodes of the show and never, ever getting to come back after my pomegranate analogy, I'm certain. <laughs> <laughs> yep, I made that note right here. Pomegranate yeah, analogy. nope. <laughs> really, I thought it was the, the hats jokes that were going to get you banned for life. Well, if you would have done an eighth one, I would have probably uh, banned him on that one. No, but it's the rule seven of is sevens. Seven's fine. The rule of sevens, yeah. They, all good comedians do things in sets of seven. And for a two-minute stand-up bit, boy, that can get really repetitive. Mm. But yeah, you know, you're yeah. I think you're exactly right here. I think this this moment seems like it's a completely different length than the minute that came before. Mm -hmm. And going through and watching it, it's just so incident-packed. You know, you've got the the look through the ceiling, and uh, here come the bugs, and then people in acrobats in leotards and in uh, alien suits vaulting over things mm -hmm. and everything's exploding and there's running and Paul Reiser's getting away. It's just, it seems, this seems like a five minute segment. It does. And the fact that he packed it into 60 seconds is pretty amazing. It really is. All right. Well, uh, Matthew, you want to remind everyone one more time where they can mm -hmm. connect with you online. I don't want to use the wrong uh, <laughs> parlance there. Well, 
You can always find me behind the McDonald's trying to unweld the doors and get me some Mac sauce. Um, and you can find me at Majorspoilers.com. I do some writing. I do some talking. We do some podcasts. We have a live play podcast that I'm quite fond of and, and you know, a little proud of. A lot of stuff. You can also follow me on Twitter at MightyKingCobra, all one word, which, you know, I guess all Twitter handles are one word, so that doesn't make any sense. But if you want to capitalize the K, that's good, too. And Tasha, one more time, please. You can find me over on Twitter, standing in front of Matthew's Twitter and trying to figure out how to weld it shut. Uh, you can find my <laughs> you can find my Twitter feed at Tasha Robinson. You can find my writing at TheVerge.com, and you can hear me talking about past and present movies uh, with a bunch of other people at the Next Picture Show podcast. And you can find us at AlienMinute.com, on Instagram at AlienMinutePodcast, or on Twitter at AlienMinutePod. I uh, just want to thank Alex Robinson and P3 Taylor one more time for uh, get loaning us this concept. It's a, it's a fun way to talk about movies. And if you've never listened to the Star Wars Minute over there, you should check it out. They're going to be starting Revenge of the Sith really soon, so that should be a ball. Um, so go over there and listen to those guys. All right, well, thanks a lot, everyone, for listening this week. And we'll see you next week for Minute 101.